Hey there, I'm Rinda Emick, the founder of the nonprofit Presley's Purpose, where we give NICU parents some time away from the hospital to relax and de-stress by pampering them in the salon. I am also the host of Presley's Purpose podcast, where I will interview NICU families to share their journey and their best tips and tricks for surviving the NICU. Please subscribe if you haven't already, so you are the first to get our latest podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Rinda Amick. I'm the host of this Presley's Purpose podcast, and I just so enjoy bringing NICU families to you to share the greatest tips and tricks that we can give you for surviving the NICU. So we appreciate your time. We appreciate you spending some minutes with us, and hopefully you can gain something from this podcast. I have another one of my friends here that I actually met when we were staying in the Ronald McDonald house over an hour away from our home while we were in our NICU journey. And so this is my friend, friend Rebecca LaCroix, and I wanted to introduce her to you to share her story because she has an amazing journey um, going through the NICU and even just um, beyond the NICU, the stuff that she is going through. So I'm not going to waste any more time. We're going to jump right into your story, Rebecca. So go ahead and share a little bit about your background with us, who you are, kind of like your pregnancy journey and that kind of stuff. Hi, everybody. Um, yep, my name is Rebecca and we live in Montana. Um, when I got pregnant with my NICU boys, they, we were in a little tiny town called Baker. Um, I have twin boys. They are now two and a half. Um, it started, the whole kind of pregnancy thing started um, in 2015. We were trying to um, have a baby. We decided we were ready to start that family journey lasted about a year of trying, realizing something wasn't happening. So then we um, received some professional help, learned that I had a giant cyst that was growing in my area that was preventing anything from coming through. So had that surgery, really, really simple procedure. And within a couple of weeks, I was pregnant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was a really quick one, um, and I think because of that, that's how I ended up with the twins. I wasn't able to get pregnant, then my body overcompensated, and I got two eggs fertilized. Um, pregnancy was pretty normal. Um, the disadvantage we had is living in Baker. We had to travel an hour away to go to appointments and whatnot, so when it got closer to the time the boys were born, um, we were in the ER a lot. We, um, I had what was called round ligament pain. Usually it's super simple. It's just a little bit of pain. It comes and goes. Mine was constant and kept me on the couch for two weeks. Um, was in the ER multiple times before they finally diagnosed that. Um, and then I think it was a week or two later, um, I had lower back pain and found out it was back labor, which even though we had just taken a class, um, never mentioned it, never knew that you could feel the labor pains in your back. Um, because of my ER visits, I didn't want to travel all the way to Miles City, which is 80 miles away, um, to get it checked out because we had just been and they didn't really do anything. So I waited eight hours um, in labor. My husband, um, is a night shift worker so he had worked the night before he was currently sleeping during all of this and he had to work he was supposed to work that night so i was trying to just play tough well about eight hours into it we realized that um this is not just pains that i need to get over i'm possibly in labor so we rushed down to miles city um it was around five o'clock in the evening and then three hours later at 8.13 and 8.22, uh, Michael and Joseph appeared. And this is the miracle. Miles City is a town of like maybe 8,000 people. They don't have a NICU. They barely have a hospital. So they literally kept my children alive until the NICU team from Billings, which is two hours away from them, managed to make it with all the equipment they needed. How many weeks were, were, were you pregnant when you delivered? 
sorry. Yeah. It's, I was 26 weeks and four days. Wow. Yeah. I, when I was going through the labor pains, I actually looked up, I was curious cause I'd never heard of a 26 weeker. Um, and they said it was only 1% survival rate, which living in the NICU, you find out that's not, oh, not necessarily the case. Um, medical care can provide a lot. Um, when I was hearing some of the stories from some of the other moms through this podcast, a lot of them said they weren't familiar with the NICU scene. Um, I have the, not privilege, but special opportunity that my um, sister-in-law did the NICU scene. She also had twins. They were born at 31 weeks. And so we were very familiar with the NICU. Um, I figured the boys were going to be NICU babies. Wasn't expecting 26 weekers, but did expect that they were going to be NICU babies. So um, when that all happened, of course, high strong. Of course, I'm scared, but um, I knew that they could do a lot with the NICU. So I wasn't necessarily worried that they were going to die. Um, my Hormones were definitely through the roof. I was only with the boys for a little bit, so I know they did CPR on the boys. I don't know how they kept them um, breathing, yeah. but it was probably a good half hour that they were keeping my boys alive. My mom, um, she was outside in my labor room when this was all happening, and she said she saw one of the nurses running with my little two-pound son. Um, don't know where they took them, but it's like they, they were freaking out. They had no idea how to handle these kids. So the fact that they are alive is amazing and a miracle. Wow. So this begins your NICU journey. So here we are, you deliver 26 weekers. They're rushed off to a bigger city for a NICU support and you're in the hospital overnight. So, I mean, every mom, whether you expect it or not, at that moment that you're separated is the, in my mind, was one of the biggest mental battles. How are you dealing with that part of the situation? I was in a lot of shock. So um, the true emotions I probably should have been feeling weren't necessarily there. Of course, I was really sad that I couldn't see my boys when they were first born. My husband got to. Um, but I did hear, I think it was Michael, um, my firstborn. I did hear him cry. Didn't hear Joe cry. So I was a little nervous about that when I did hear that he was alive. I'm just kind of processing life. I'm trying to figure out how I went from just hanging out in my house to, oh, hey, I'm in a hospital and now my life has completely changed. I'm a mom. I'm going to have to stay in Billings. And it was just, wasn't really emotions, just a lot of like shock just yeah. trying to figure out life. Yeah. So, okay. So you guys, you get transferred to Billings. Now you're in the NICU. I know the babies were 26 weeks and obviously that comes with some challenges, but was there anything outside of just being premature that you guys were battling or was it just kind of like, we're going to just keep them basically alive and, and trying to get them to grow and stuff like that? So of course the first day they don't know my boys, they don't understand anything about them. So they tell you the very routine answers you're going to be here probably at least until your term date so that's three and a half months for us they give you possibilities of what could happen i mean they were both intubated um when we first got there michael um did manage to be extubated so he didn't have the tube in his mouth it was he had the cannula i was giving him a bunch of support they did warn us that um Babies tend to get sicker before they get better, like within the first couple of weeks of life. Um, they warned us about brain bleeds. They warned us about, um, like I said, lung disease and just, you know, anything could happen. And it took them a while to figure uh, life out. So we knew we were in for the long run. We got into the Ronald McDonald house um, here in Billings for a while. Um, but then life did kind of get crazy. Um, we were there every day. We had people coming and visiting us. Um, but within, I want to say within 48 hours, they did an ultrasound on both the boys' heads. And that's when we found out that Michael had what was called a grade four brain bleed on his right side and a grade three brain bleed on his left side. And they say four is about the highest. Um, what this means, what they told us, 
is that he had a 50% chance of cerebral palsy on his left side and a 25% chance of cerebral palsy on his right side. And then they also told us that we wouldn't know for months, not till he started walking and talking on how severe that could be. So being a mom and knowing kids, I know kids from just a little bit of leg trouble to wheelchair bound, and you can tell their brain's there, but their muscles aren't. Mm -hmm. So that was really stressful. That was hard for me to be okay with, to work through. Um, but for those first two weeks, it was just kind of visiting the boys. Um, I think it was day five or six that we finally got to hold them. Um, they had to make sure they were stable and they wanted to put um, a pick line, which is a more permanent form of IV, or not permanent, but more long-term form of IV in them. And that's when we were able to start holding them. Um, I got to hold Michael first. My husband got to hold Joe. Um, and of course, that was just, that was really enjoyable. It was helping us get through it, just being able to hold our children. Um, but then life kind of got stressful after that. Another test they did um, was checking a PDA, which is a heart valve in, connects the heart to the lungs, I believe they told me. Um, with normal babies, when they're born, it closes when they know that they're out of the womb because the lungs no longer need blood and oxygen from the heart. With preemies, it does not always close. Um, both the boys' PDAs were open, and they have a med called Indocin that they give that can close it or cannot close it, but they have to give it really early on. Um, both the boys got a dose of that. They closed enough um, to where it wasn't a worry, but then throughout their month in the NICU and Den or sorry, in Billings, um, it opened back up. Wow. Um, I believe it was Joe opened his up. And so they gave him the indecent again. But at this point, they were getting older. And the older you get, the less likely it's going to help. Um, my boys, from the very beginning, have been unique and don't like to do anything that doctors say <laughs> or what's supposed to be normal for children. <laughs> so shouldn't have worked, but it did. It closed up enough. Um, but during that, while it was being given, they threatened us with Denver. Um, Billings, Montana does not have any pediatric surgeons, so anything that has to do with cutting a child open, you have to transfer. They were threatening that. Because Michael had the brain bleed, they said they could transfer Michael with him as and claim that it's an observation um, so that we wouldn't have to be separated. Joe closed his enough that they weren't worried anymore. Um, Michael, two days later, opened his back up. Wow. And yeah, so that brought a lot of stress on us. Because um, at that point, Joe didn't have a logical reasoning to transfer to Denver. Mm. So then we're trying to figure out, okay, who's going to go to Denver if Michael needs to go? Who's going to stay? And how are we going to do this? Um, because Joe was successful with how they did the indecent, they went ahead and did it with Michael as well. Um, and again, it closed enough. So we thought we were in the clear. Um, they did get sicker, like they warned, um, about two, three weeks into it. Um, Joe, who was intubated on a regular vent, had to go on an oscillator. Michael, who um, just had a nose cannula, had to go on an oscillator. Wow. Couldn't hold, yeah, they couldn't hold my children. And that, that right there was super hard for me. Um, with Nikki moms, I'm sure all Nikki moms of preemies understand, they teach you not to... Uh, not to stroke your son, not to stroke your kids, just put your hand on it. And for a mother's heart, you don't feel like you're doing anything. If you're just sitting in the ice, um, outside the isolate, you feel like you're not doing anything. So that led to a tiny meltdown for me. I had, everything was starting to overwhelm me. I was getting so stressed out, so freaked out. And I just, I couldn't take care of my kids the way I wanted to. And it just reminded me, it's like, we, this shouldn't be. I should have two healthy kids. I should still be pregnant. I had a life planned for us. And so I was, I was just miserable. Um, we did, we went home to Baker, um, 
think it was a month into the NICU stay. So we hung out the weekend there and both my boys decided to pull episodes on us. Um, they both decided to open up their PDAs. Wow. But um, they couldn't test for it because they needed an echo. The echo machine only, the, the guy, the technician would only come Monday through Friday. So we had to wait till Monday, but they were showing signs of their PDAs opening. So we're trying to figure out what life's going to do. We're kind of packing up um, extra stuff from our house to go if we needed to. Um, and we get there on Monday. They do the echoes. They find out their PDAs are wide open. Um, they get in contact with Denver Children's and... Tuesday morning, it was exactly four weeks after the boys were born, uh, we got transferred to Denver. Wow. Which was the longest stay of our entire life. I forgot there's a little story to mine um, before I was able to go to Denver. So um, about a week into the boys being in the NICU, I had um, a really, really sharp pain at the bottom of my chest. Um, I thought it was just indigestion. Um, I didn't swallow something right. So I went to bed, woke up and it was all over my body. Couldn't, couldn't get comfortable. It was really painful. So we went to the ER, they diagnosed me with indigestion, gave me some meds. 10 days later, I'm back in the ER with the exact same symptoms. Found out that, um, due to the pregnancy, I, my gallstones inflamed. We had to wait a week or two before we could see a surgeon to get it scheduled. And of course, we're going through all the NICU stuff with that. And my surgery was scheduled the Wednesday after the boys left. Wow. So Monday, we found out the boys had to go to Denver. Tuesday, they shipped out to Denver. My husband went down there. And Wednesday, I had my surgery. Oh, my goodness. Which prevented me for again, being separated from my children. Um, my mom was there. She helped me. Uh, we had to wait for the weekend because my dad was gone. And my dad and my mom, on my mom's birthday, drove me to Denver. Wow. Um, for the families that have to travel to places outside their own, it's, it's really hard. Um, I was starting to get relationships with the nurses. I was starting to understand my routines and billings. So when I got to Denver... They had already changed some things on how they were taking care of the boys. The boys, um, by the time they got there, had closed their PDAs just enough that they weren't worried. So they wanted to wait till they were bigger to do the surgery. Um, so I'm just, I'm there. I'm visiting my boys. Um, in the Billings NICU, the pod, uh, the NICU is pod. So it's all open. Um, the boys were right next to each other. But in Denver, it's a bunch of rooms with sliding glass doors. Because my boys were getting surgeries, they kept them in separate rooms. So not only did I have a different atmosphere, but my boys weren't even together. So I had to decide each day or each hour which child I was hanging out with. So I, I was a mess. Um, I did not like anybody who was happy, which it was a red nose day. So all those stupid little noses were around and I was just like so upset that people were making light of the situation. And um, I'm like, nope, I'm not going to be happy the entire time I hear. I, they told us at the most we were going to be there a month. Um, oh course. my goodness. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh, wait. <laughs> we got to Denver and they didn't tell, they were just like, oh, you're going to be here as long as we have no idea. For And I know your story that we're going to unfold here. And I'm like, they told you a month? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, let's keep this. So now you're in Denver. Your heart, your, your, you just had surgery. And you're in a place, which I'm sure there are some mamas out there that are feeling this, it, and it's really hard mentally. I, I studied mindset almost nine years now, and I've worked a ton on that, and being able to be in a challenging situation like that and try to have that peace of mind, and, and it's, it's so difficult. And here you are, your world's flipped upside down. I don't know whether you know you have worked on those things or not, but the, and it's interesting to me that you're saying, I, you know, I don't, 
I don't want to see the joy around, right? Like, I, like this is the way that you're dealing with this very challenging situation. Not only that, but just going through a surgery on your own health. So you've got your own health issues and you've got your boys and, and there's a lot where you feel helpless and I totally understand that. So, um, so keep walking us through, you know, you're, you're now in Denver. They're telling you you're going to be here a month. There's a whole lot uh, that <laughs> even from then to the time I meet you in Denver. So, um, so what, and again, it's like that roller coaster, right, Rebecca? It's like, it really is. I mean, it's like you get to Denver and then there's hope that you're going to be there a month and, you know, and, and the boys, they start maybe doing a little bit better. And I mean, this is, this is the journey of the NICU that that I, I just don't think people quite understand the extent of this roller coaster, like the extreme high of a good day or a good hour and the extreme low. So you're staying there and you've up and moved your entire life to a new state. And now you're like, okay, cool. We might be here a month. So tell us what happens now. So like I said, the boys' PDAs looked fine and the bigger the baby, the healthier and the better the outcome of surgery. So my husband, we were together a month, or sorry, not a month, a week there. Um, my husband decided, or we kind of decided together that he should probably go back home, go back to his job so that we could save some of our um, vacation time for when we got the boys home. At this point in time, we both were hopeful that we were going to get the boys home by their due date. Um, so my sister moved in with me, um, again, thinking it's only supposed to be temporary. Um, and that's where we kind of started our stay. Uh, within a week, Michael opened up his PDA enough that they did do surgery on him. Um, super simple procedure. He's got a little scar on his back. Um, they just, they call it ligation. And I think it was just like a clip they just put on it. They just closed it themselves. Um, as you can kind of tell at this point in time, my boys like to do things together. So I really assumed that the next week Joe was going to need to do it. Um, this is where life kind of got stressful and I started realizing what life was like with doctors and nurses and trying to advocate for your son. Um, Joe did show the symptoms, um, of his PDA being open, but he always did it on the weekend. <laughs> So they would never do an echo. They would wait till Monday. And then when Monday would show around, it would show that it wasn't open enough for them to worry. So we do this. I want to say it's like a good couple of weeks. Finally, they're like, oh, hey, we'll just give them Tylenol. And that simple little drug closed it, like officially closed it. No more symptoms. Um, so at this point in time, of course, I'm asking the doctors, when can we get back to Billings? And what they told me, because at this point in time, both the boys were intubated. They were not on the oscillators. We did get them back onto regular vents. Um, so they were doing some breathing on their own. They wanted to work on getting the boys extubated before we went because it's safer, it's healthier, um, it's a lot easier to travel without the vent, um, you know, being intubated because then it's a lot less likely that they'll um, pop their tubes out. So I'm like, okay no harm. We're still in the hospital. It's not gonna bug us. So I want to say, um, the beginning's really, really fuzzy for me time-wise. It felt like an eternity, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, I think it was only a couple of weeks. We were slowly winning settings down. Um, in the beginning of August, I do remember that one. Um, no, sorry, the end of July, uh, they decided to extubate Michael. And this is one of those where it was a really, really hard day. Jake and I were supposed to have our anniversary dinner because he was down visiting me. He had the benefit through his work that he got a week off every month. That's just how his work worked. So we had plans that night to go out to supper for our anniversary. But right away, right as they intubated Michael, you could just tell he was struggling. They didn't want to reintubate him right away. They wanted to see if he could straighten out. Um, he had a really high respiratory rate, so he was breathing really fast. Um, the nurse we had was definitely not my favorite. Thank goodness I never had her again because I don't think I could have handled her. Um, 
first she, I, all I wanted to do was just put my hand on Michael. I wanted to comfort him because it took him a while to excavate him. He was really stressed out. He was really freaked out. And she's like, we're not going to touch him. We don't want to overstimulate him. Yeah. And of course that made me just want to punch her. <laughs> but at that point in time, I'm still honestly pretty new to this whole thing. So I didn't know what I could or could not do. Obviously not the punching, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just sit there and I watch him. I, all I want to do is hold him, but I just watch him. Um, then she decides that, okay, we're going to see if kangaroo care will help him. Um, I'm sure as some moms know, kangaroo care does marvelous things. It's, um, really helps a child out. So like, okay, we're going to do kangaroo care. Um, I go to get my robe on. Um, at this point I am pumping for my children. So she asked me if I needed to pump and I'm like, yeah, actually I probably should. Well, she didn't want to wait for me to pump. So she gave Michael to Jake. Because at this point, we wanted to make sure he was not getting moved around a lot, that he was just situated. So they were thinking hours at a time. So not only did she not let me touch my son, but then she took away my chance at holding him, which, again, just really irritated me. Mm -hmm. um, a few hours after that, um, they still extubated, still not doing really well. So then I decided to hold him for a few hours. Um, this takes up like the entire day. We missed our reservation. We didn't go, um, but it was getting really late. So we were like, okay, we kind of need to go home and we need to go to bed. So we do um, get a call. I want to say it's like two, three in the morning that they decided to reintubate Michael. He just wasn't doing well. He wasn't getting better. So they just wanted to give him a chance. Um, one thing that... I found out a couple months later, which really, really upset me, and that's where I started figuring out the lack of communication that can happen in a hospital. Um, they gave him what's called propofol, which is an anesthetic um, to help him while they place the tube in him so that it uh, doesn't hurt as much. Uh, apparently, he's allergic to it because he coded. Oh, no. They failed to tell me until Joe's surgery two months later. Um, that Michael had coded because this no propofol showed up on their medical chart and I didn't understand why. Wow. Um, so that kind of scared me. That upset me. Um, they had, um, so then that just kind of led to that. He was irritable, but he was doing better. Um, we waited another week or two. Um, Joe, they did try, but he failed to um, extubate. So this is getting um, towards the beginning of August. And um, at this point in time, they found out Joe was not going to have the surgery. Michael had already had his surgery um, for the PDA. So they finally put my boys together. Wow. It's like a month later, I finally get my two kids together. Um, they, I think at that point, it was the third time that Joe tried to extubate and failed. Like he lasted minutes. It wasn't like Michael, it was minutes. And so I'm starting to get really upset. I'm, I'm at this point in time talking about even just transferring my kids to Billings anyway, cause I want to be closer to family. I'm like, they can do this in Billings. Um, but I hadn't said anything yet. Um, then they decide because he was failing so much that they wanted to do a bronchoscopy of his throat and his lungs to see if there's an issue because he should have been able to at least get onto the nose cannula at this point in time. I think within two days they re-extubated Michael and he was actually doing really good so there was finally some positivity for us. They bronched Joe and they found out he had what was called granulomas which are little um, cysts inside his throat and um, was really swollen. We found out um, that in Billings, they put an intub um, intubation tube down his throat that was way too big. Oh, no. So in essence, Billings Clinic um, damaged my son's throat. So at this point in time, I learned what a trach, what a trach is called. And 
what that is all about. Um, at this point in time, we thought he was only going to need tricks because he couldn't breathe upwards, but that his lungs were fine. So we're thinking at this point in time, quick surgery, quick recovery, we'll go back to Billings. Um, sadly, they did tell us that they do not, um, it's called decannulation when they take the trach out. They do not take him out during the winter. So we knew he was going to have that trach until spring at the most. He has the surgery. And when he comes back, um, he's a big old balloon, big old shiny balloon. He was so swollen. He was so angry. He was not a happy baby. There's some moms that say that the trach was the best thing for their kids, but he... I was upset. I, I couldn't handle it anymore. Um, the joy of having Michael extubated didn't matter anymore. I just, I'm like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I have no freaking idea how I'm going to get through this. Um, so I do what some moms would probably never dream of, but you do have to think about yourself sometimes. Um, I hadn't been home in two months. I was separated from everyone. It was just my sister with me. My husband had come down for the surgery, so at least I had him. My dad had come down for the surgery. And when I couldn't stop crying for anything, couldn't see the light of anything, we decided to go to Baker. So my dad decided to stay with Joe for his first week um, of being trait. What made me feel okay about leaving him is that he was sedated anyway. Um, they wanted to make sure that that airway stayed open, that it wasn't going to, like something was going to happen. So I wasn't going to be able to hold him anyway. He wasn't going to be awake for me. So I went to Baker. Um, got a little bit better. Got to where I felt like I could handle it. We go back and um, that's when Joe's starting to wake up a little bit and I can kind of handle him. So, of course, the first thing I think of when we're finally, he's trached. Michael's extubated. It's like, okay, when can we get back to Baker? Or sorry, not Baker, Billings. When can we get back to Billings? I want to be back in Billings. Um, they kept trying to tell me that uh, Billings could handle trait kids. What they failed to tell me is that they could only handle trait kids on what's called a home vent. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brenda understands that one very well. Yeah. <laughs> he was still on the ICU vent, um, and he was still on pretty high settings for being an ICU vent. So finally got someone who spoke real answers, because um, I prefer the truth over a cover-up. I want to know exactly what to think of, and even if it's, you know, best case, worst case scenario, I want to know the information. Finally got someone to admit to me that a trach child, especially one on a vent, spends at least um, up to their fifth and seventh month of life in the NICU getting ready to go home. He was on a lot of heavy medication because of the surgery. Um, I had a hard time with it because the doctors don't like to keep him on heavy medication. So they were weaning him. They had a um, they had a way of how they wanted to win it. They looked at a couple of things um, psychologically. And then if they decided that looked fine, then they would wean them. Um, well, Joe had really bad withdrawals. He would get really red. He would drop his stats. He was, he was miserable. And that didn't help this mama heart. I had a hard time dealing with it. It, um, it was just, I was struggling. Um, and trying to figure out, not thinking life was ever going to get better. Um, one benefit that I did have that helped me get through the day is that Michael was doing well. So as Joe's really sick, not doing well, Michael was getting better. He was slowly weaning um, off of his um, ICU vent, got on what they call high flow, then got on to low flow, to where all he had was a basic um, nose cannula we finally get to a point where we can talk about taking him home. So um, he was not stable enough to go home without oxygen. And he was not stable enough to go home without what's called a pulse ox. Um, every baby's got it in the NICU, so I know every mom will eventually learn exactly what that's called. Um, so we had to wait. 
it was like a week or two um, to get that pulse ox because it had to come through Billings. They had to get a pediatrician in Billings to approve it, which at that point we hadn't been home to even have a pediatrician. But in, it was September, I think, 17th that I finally got to take Michael home. Well, home to the uh, Denver house. Yeah. So um, at this point, life gets a little more difficult for us. Not only do I still have my two boys, Joe's still in the NICU, but now I am the sole caretaker of Michael. So it's, um, to me, it felt like raising two separate children instead of having twins. So instead of doing two things to get, or like two babies together, I was doing one, then I'd come and do the other. Our routine for a lot of it was um, my sister and I, we would go to the NICU. My sister would kind of focus on Mike a little bit more so that I could hold Joe. Um, and so that was our life for a while. Um, lots of procedures for Joe. They were doing a lot of Bronx to try to fix his throat. Um, they were threatening a surgery later on in life saying that they were going to have to physically put like a stent in there to help him keep it open. Um, when he was getting closer to decannulation, we'd spent months, um, working on weaning his settings. Christmas had come and gone. Um, we did find out way later on when they decided to do a bronch of his lungs that he has uh, what's called brachial and tracheal uh, So his lungs didn't have the cartilage to keep them open. Hmm. Um, so that's why he needed so much support on the vents is that he needed all that pressure to keep them open. Um, and it was actually one of these bronchs where we found out that he needed really, really high peep. And that's the, that's the pressure that stays in the lungs to keep them open. Um, this is where we found out that Joe did not play by the normal rules. So he, um, he was always hyperinflated in his x-rays, but that's what he needed. Once we figured out that magic number, he got off the highest setting he had ever been on, and we were slowly weaning on his vent. Um, by the time their first birthday came around, which was May, he was starting to trial um, home vents. So they have two of them. Um, most babies get to go home on what's called the Trilogy. It's um, a lot newer, a lot more um, movable. Like they, they, they get it to where you can actually live your life um, while having this Trilogy vent. Joe didn't want it. He didn't want the nice little easy vent. He wanted what was called the LTV, which was their much older model, very bulky, really big tubes um, that went to his trach. So what's the expectation at this time for how long he will need the trach? Um, at that point in time, they said um, he should have it out by kindergarten. So at this point in time, we knew, obviously, at, um, spring had come and gone was nowhere near getting out of the hospital so we knew it was you know two three four years so we're just trying to get the kid home yeah um so he got on the ltv we were doing trials slow and steady was doing well their birthday comes and goes um one fun part about that what should have been you know probably one of the saddest days because my sons were not home for their birthday but um at that point in time, we had a wonderful selection of primary nursing. Um, they did everything for my son. Um, so they did a wonderful birthday party. Everybody brought presents for the boys. We did a smash cake. Um, so that was one little positive of having to be there. Mm -hmm. um, one story I forgot to mention um, is before we were successfully getting him onto the home vent, like I said, he was not normal. They couldn't figure out how to get him healthier. Um, and we had this one particular doctor who didn't understand that. Um, he was known as kind of the whiz so that he would pull these miracle cases all the time. Um, I had, at this point in time, I'm traveling back and forth to Baker every now and again, taking care of mama because I, I need breaks. Um, it had been too long. So I go to Baker. Um, this doctor calls I, and he's talking about how they want to trial him on the trilogy event. They want to sedate him. 
so that he doesn't struggle so that they can figure out settings. Um, I find out later that I had all my nurses were freaking out over this. They didn't think it was a good idea. No one was telling me that the nurses were freaking out over this. Um, that's where I found out that nurses and doctors sometimes don't always get along. Doctors want to push babies. The nurses want to keep them stable. So they try this. They say he's doing okay. Um, then we get a call later that night that um, he had coded. He had, he had actually flatlined. Um, they had to do chest compressions. Um, and he became excruciatingly irritable. So Jake and I fly back down, or in a car, we drove back down to Denver. Um, and that's when mama's voice came. I tried really hard to let the nurses and the doctors do their thing. I figured they were way smarter than I was. But at that point in time, everything changed for me. Um, I virtually fired the doctor by giving him so many limitations that uh, he took himself off our case. That's when I found out how um, amazing my primary nurse team was. Um, so it was me and my nurses who finally started deciding what we were going to do with her with my son. And that's how we were able to progress so far on the LTV event. Um, one thing we were noticing is that he would go 48 hours on the LTV and then he would have an episode where he would have to get bagged. Wow. Um, he, he was so unstable. So like we didn't want to push him. So he'd go back on the ICU vent. We'd give him a day or so. Then we'd go back. Um, we finally figured out um, because the LTV vent is really bad condensation buildup in the tubes. My son liked to sleep on his belly. So every time he would wake up, he'd roll and he would virtually drown himself. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, um, in a desperate effort, because at this point in time, we have no idea what we're going to do. We try the trilogy. Um, he hated it the first time we did it, which is why we did the LTV. He loved it. He wow. took off. Um, and finally, that was the beginning of September. So I think that was like 13, 14 months of being, no, sorry, 15, 16 months of being in a hospital. And my son's finally healthy. My son is finally getting to a point where we can take my kid home. Um, so beginning of September, he's on the trilogy. The end of September, they decided to transfer him up to the training floor. It terrified me. I, um, at that point in time, I'd spent 15 months in that particular NICU. And I didn't want to lose my primary team. I was terrified because... It wasn't the doctors running the show anymore. The doctors learned that it was me and the nurses because we knew my son the best. So I was going to have to start with brand new nurses. I was going to have to start with brand new doctors. And honestly, I kind of wish I could have just done the training in the NICU. I actually actually tried to get them to do that. But um, of course, they like their routines. They like their norms. Yeah. So um, the end of September, we move up to the training floor. And then life gets... Um, a lot faster, a lot easier at that point in time. Um, he started not needing as much trick stuff as um, some other kids. So like um, a lot of trick kids have secretions in their lungs that you have to constantly suck out. He didn't need that anymore. Um, he was needing less oxygen. He was actually doing really, really well. Um, the only thing we had an issue with is he did get a G-tube in his stomach because 95% of the trait kids have to have G-tubes because they've got oral aversion. So he was needing, he was throwing up a lot. Um, but that was about the only issue we had. We get up to the training floor. Um, the same as when I did when I first got to Denver. I hated it. I was really upset. I um, was super advocated mom, so I didn't like their differences. But um, I met an RT there who did the training. Um, she was super amazing, super about getting us home. Um, but they, at this point, we were trying to figure out where home was going to be. November 5th of that year, we finally leave Denver. We finally leave the hospital and we transfer to the PICU um, in Billings, Montana. At this point in time, Joe's ready to go home. The only reason he's in the hospital is because we had to locate from Baker, Montana to Billings. So I had to find an apartment. That's the only reason he was in the hospital. 
um, had a little bit of struggle there. The pulmonologist um, was trained with the pulmonologist in Denver, the one who handled all of Joe's stuff. Um, he was, he understood that I was a very well-advocated mama. I was a very well-trained mama and I knew my kid better than anybody. Yes. So he gave me the permission to be able to take Joe home. Um, like I said before, Billings hardly had any nursing. We did manage to get one day nurse, which is what I didn't necessarily want a day nurse. I wanted more night nursing, but that wasn't an option. So we came up with a little calendar on who was supposed to be up with what, um, they really strongly suggested having someone awake with him at all hours of the night or hours of the day and night, like someone should be awake and alert. So we wrote them their calendar. Um, we had a coordinator. Don't know why. She did not like the fact that I was going home with so little help and she tried her hardest to keep me in the hospital. Um, but I won. She did not. <laughs> And three weeks later, um, on November 29th of last year, I got to take my son home for the first time. And this so is was like 18 months, right? About 18 months. It was like 563 days, I think. Goodness. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. That had um, to be the best feeling, you know, just. It was. And life is way easier than having to go to a hospital every day and deal with nursing and doctors and whether I can do something. So it's, it's definitely hard. Um, we learned pretty early on that he's actually a pretty stable kid, pretty easygoing kid. So because of that, and only because of that, we do sleep when Joe sleeps, we have a monitor on him so we can hear any of his alarms. So if he pops his circuit off his trach, or if he's, um, his heart rate or his oxygen lowers, we can hear it. We did eventually get rid of that day nurse because I, I went from hospital life to mom life. I wasn't going to let anyone take care of my son. <laughs> I love that. It's, and before we go further with that real fast, I want to just circle back around and ask you, so you mentioned a few times, and I am a NICU parent advocate. I just, you know, I was a very strong-willed parent, and I had a lot of rules, and it was from very early on, like a few, you know, a few <laughs> days, like into this uh, stay. And so after, so when you look back at your NICU journey and you think about the ways that you did advocate or that how you kind of transformed into a stronger mom throughout this journey, if you were right now to speak to those mamas that are sitting in that chair right now and you feel like your hands are tied, right? You feel like you can, yeah. there's only so much you can do. And until you get to the point where you're ready to stand your ground and you're ready to have them listen to you a little bit more, you, until you have that breakthrough, you're kind of just feel like you, you can't do anything. So speak to the moms. What do you wish you would have known now that you've gone through 18 months of the NICU? What do you wish that you would have known from the beginning whether it, maybe it's a tip on how to advocate, maybe it's, um, you know, something to do for yourself, but what is it that you wish you would have known? I wish I would have paid a little more attention from the very beginning on some of the medical stuff they were talking about. I feel like that would have helped, um, save some of the issues that had happened. Um, I wish I would have, um, made sure they didn't touch Joe until I was physically there. I did do what I could, but um, obviously in my situation, I did have Michael, so I couldn't stay hours on in like some parents could. Um, I definitely suggest going to all of their um, daily care plans um, because you get a lot of information. Ask questions. Talk to other mamas, especially if they're going through it or they've gone through it. Learn as much as you can. Um, learn the negatives, the positives, different situations, and just talk to the doctors until you get your voice. Ask them, work with them. They are honestly usually really good, but trust your nurses. Get um, get as many primary nurses that you trust. Talk to them. Um, have them uh, tell you about things that they see because they see your kids. They're they're like a second mama. They, they understand your kids, um, sometimes even better, better than mamas, because mamas cannot physically be there. 
24 seven. Mm-hmm. So just build that relationship there, discuss with your nurses because they're fully capable of discussing with you what they think is beneficial because they do know that nurses and mamas are around the child way more than the doctors will ever be. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, it's such a different world being there and doctors are intimidating surgeons, pulmonal. I mean, these people have been studying decades of their life and it can be so intimidating, right? That, that you almost feel like you have to just do as you're told essentially. Um, but you, that baby was formed inside of you and you will always have a connection far stronger than anybody outside. And I just think sometimes there's that intuitive nudge that we get as moms where we say, no, that's not right. And sometimes we're pushed against that intuitive nudge. And I think that the best thing for, for parents, especially moms, is that you speak that is that you speak that intuitive nudge that you say this doesn't feel right in my heart. And maybe that just means you need to take a little more time before you make the decision. And can I emphasize you make the decision? (laughs) Yes. You make the decision. You as the mom and the dad, you make the decision. The doctors and the nurses don't. They are supposed to come to you with a plan and you are the one to say yes or no. Yeah, most um, away from from parents. Yeah, parents have the overall say so, and it takes parents a while to find that they think, especially when you don't understand all of it. You do, you just kind of let the control go. And I know the doctors prefer that because then they can do things their way. They do talk to you; they don't hide anything from you. But once you understand stuff, yeah, talk talk to your doctors. You can say yes or no. Um, so if you feel like something's not right or that they're doing something too fast, tell them. If um, the doctors are kind of hard to listen, they have other advocates. Um, they have, you know, like HR and I can't remember all the different people there, but there's so many people there that are meant to advocate with you. So if you feel like something's not working the way that you want to talk to other people, have asked the nurses on who you can talk to. They are usually more than happy to find those people for you, but you are the overall voice. Absolutely. So you're home with the babies. How does that feel? And what does life look like for you now? It, it's a whole new experience. Um, it was so freeing. We are doing really, really good. Um, I do emphasize that Joe is a lot different from a lot of trait kids. Um, he doesn't have nightly medications. Um, first thing I did when I got my kid home is I changed him to a puree diet through his G2. That eliminated all of his puking and gassiness. Um, I got it. I made him as normal baby as I could. Aww. So he eats three times a day. Um, he goes down for a nap when Michael does. Um, so the biggest difference is that, yeah, he's got a hole in his throat and he's got a vent hooked up to it, but, um, I can do everything I do with Joe that I do with Michael. Um, it is so amazing. I have two kids again and he is delayed a little bit due to being in a hospital 18 months. He had so many months where he was so unstable that, we did not touch him with therapies, mm-hmm. but um, he's walking now. Um, oh, yeah. We are tasting purees, um, so that's a huge step. Michael did end up with some cerebral palsy, but um, it is excruciatingly mild. It's more of an inconvenience that it is a hardship. So his left leg is just a little bit stiff. Um, he's got some orthotics to help that, but... He's a healthy baby. Um, if it wasn't for Zach, they would have been really difficult to watch while doing this podcast. I would have totally shown my kids, but um, <laughs> Michael talks up a storm. He's super helpful. Joe, um, even being trached, which um, for non-trach moms, it means he doesn't really have a voice, but he's found the voice. 
he's able to breathe over his trach and he says a lot of words they're very airy sometimes you have to like guess on what he's saying but he is working on speaking what? he's trying to catch up to his boy he is a happy-go-lucky kid so we're actually talking with the pulmonologist if winter can behave if we can keep him healthy that we're talking about decannulation in the spring taking the vent and the oh, trach out that's um his settings are super, super low on his vent. Um, we just have a couple more steps that we need to kind of do to get him used to taking the vent off. And that will open up even more doors, um, having that vent off, because it is kind of a pain in the neck. Um, he is still on oxygen, but when we um, go outside the house, we can leave the oxygen at home. So that's a huge step, too. That's one last bottle we have to take. Yeah. Um, so it went from being the sickest little baby and the longest NICU stay to being the healthiest baby. And now I'm due with a third one in December. So. I was waiting for you to say something. I was like, maybe <laughs> she doesn't want to say it. <laughs> oh, he, he's kicking up a storm right now. So he's like, hey, don't forget about me. And you have, so, because I just want to touch on this real fast. Um, so you're due in December. Now with your third, you've had NICU babies, you've had to stay in the NICU for 18 months. Were you trying to get pregnant? Was that a surprise? And how are the emotions, like, what do you feel about that? Did you have worries and concerns that you're going to have another preemie? And now you're, you're past that, right? So tell, just walk us through briefly, real fast, what that felt like. Yeah. So we had, I had always had, I wanted to have a bunch of kids. The boys kind of delayed that for me, but um, <laughs> with their stay, I um, did want to have at least one more. I wanted to see, because they never figured out why the boys came early, except that they were twins. I wanted to see if I could have a healthy full-term baby and have all those wonderful emotions and being able to hold your child and take him home within the first two days. Um, and then... Um, I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to happen again because they, that and, um, we're in Billings clinic or we're in Billings now. So we're actually near hospitals. So instead of traveling 80 miles away, it's five miles away. Um, part of the reason I know they did come early is because I didn't get to the hospital in time. So one of that, I was super scared. Um, cause there was no telling that this was going to happen. Was I going to be able to take care of two kids plus be pregnant? It has been difficult. Um, and it was not planned per se. I was waiting for Jake to move to Billings so that we could actually be together. Cause I knew being by myself was not going to be very well, but he was kind of an accident. We were getting ready to um, try. I was actually at an OB appointment with a specialist to make sure it was even safe to get pregnant again and found out I was pregnant. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what so, um, miracles, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, he, he is, for the most part, really healthy. Um, I am overworked because I don't have um, any help being in Billings, so I have to take it really slow. Um, hydration is the struggle that I have with trying to make sure I drink enough but I'm 31 weeks going strong so even if he does pop up um he should be healthy should hopefully avoid Denver if it was to happen um I am really scared about being in the NICU scene again I still have um not post-traumatic stress disorder but I do um there's I have certain smells or like there's there's someone living in an apartment that has an ambulance come a lot every time I see that ambulance it just terrifies me what do you do when you have those thoughts like how are you catching yourself and and changing that and and keeping you know those things away I pray a lot um I definitely I have to take a look at life um and just see what I have um going from a very negative mama in the hospital um, to being able to see all the positivities. Um, the days that I do struggle, especially when Joe may be not too happy or their toddlers and their little turds that day, um, <laughs> I just have to remember that I have my kids home and that it could be a lot worse. Um, that was one thing I had to do in the NICU and what I definitely strongly recommend to mamas is um, – 
when you're going through things, especially when you're comparing to other babies. Mm-hmm. Everybody compares to other babies. Just remember to you, your case is the worst. Mm-hmm. You are feeling all the emotions. It doesn't matter if you are the healthier one or the sicker one. But regardless, there's someone way worse than you. Yeah, somebody so always just praying for your position. Always worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so keeping that in mind and then just be happy for each day you have. Um, try to find the joys. Don't think about the future. Try not to dwell on the past. Yeah. And if you can do that, then life gets a lot easier. I struggled with that a lot. Um, and like I said, I didn't have anybody to help me through any of this because nobody understand my, stood my situation. I was the longest standing baby in that NICU. We were the longest family in that house. So no one understood us. Mm-hmm. But um, f- definitely find people to hang out with, share your stories. Everybody wants to know each other's story and they, they are happy with the joys and they're with you during the struggles. So Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for being on today and sharing your journey. Um, Again, the ups and the downs and your perspective is beautiful. Lots of love and prayers to you for a healthy delivery, a healthy baby. Um, In that experience, you know, I just, I, of course, will be watching and, and along on your journey through Facebook and everything. So I appreciate your time so much. And to all of our NICU families who are listening, I hope that there's something today that you were able to take away from Rebecca's journey, um, how to advocate, maybe how to keep your mindset a little bit up, but you know, a little happier. Um, we just appreciate you so much. And we are always sending love to you guys because we know, I mean, every day there's new babies into that, into the hospital all over every city in the United States and other countries as well. And so I'm always just thinking about you guys praying and just sending thoughts of health and love and um, to you as the parent and to the baby. So thank you so much for joining us today and look forward to our next podcast. We just hope that you, there's something that you can take away that helps you along with your journey. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with anyone who you think may enjoy it. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at Presley's Purpose, as well as our website, presleyspurpose.com. 